in verse 1. Uh, and at this point, uh, any kids that are here can go down to kids' church and Sunday school. There is no youth class for those in the back row. <laughs> uh, Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 1. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who, from the beginning, were eyewitnesses and ministers of the, of the word, have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty among the things you have been taught. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from, whom the, from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter, sorry, to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside, the hour, outside at the hour of incense, and there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John, and you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked upon me to take away my reproach among the people. This is the word of the Lord. 
I'm wondering too, so I'm just going to wait. Oh. <laughs> well timed, unplanned. The Christmas story is told in two of the four Gospels in the Bible. So half of the Gospels. The stories of the life of Jesus Christ do not tell the story of his birth. There is a kind of Christmas story in Revelation, but it is super freaky and weird with beasts like dragons and stuff like that, but it is a Christmas story. Luke chapter 1 starts one of the stories as we know it and starts as part of a larger story, obviously. Verses 1 to 4 that Keith read to us the writer of the gospel named Luke has been commissioned to tell the story of Jesus Christ. And he says in these first four verses, I'm going to tell you about these important things. And then in verse five, he does this narrative technique that you still see today when you watch many movies and read good novels. They don't always work this way, but they often do where they zoom from way up high, something, just a big introduction, that something momentous has happened, and then quickly, when the story itself starts, zoom right down to one or a couple particular people. You've been up above the cosmos, above time, and now it's just about as particular as it can get, descending narratively upon a solitary figure, in this case, an aging priest, carrying with him a sorrow. And the story begins. This is Zechariah. I want to introduce him to you this morning again. But I want to help you know him a little bit as we do. And for that, I want to ask you a question. Do you have a heartfelt longing? Felt like an absence in your life? That kind of longing. It might simply be for peace, peace of mind. Maybe it's a prayer that you've stopped praying. Maybe you're lonely. And you think if only you had companionship, your prayer would be answered and your longing would be met. Or maybe you're lonely and you have companionship. So it's harder to put your finger on it. It might be something that you don't actually voice to others, even those closest to you. When people ask you, how are you doing? You say, and by the way, this is an appropriate answer. I'm good, thank you. It's not always appropriate to tell everybody the depth of your heart and soul. It's a, little, it's a bit of an assumption on your part that that's what they're asking. How are you today? And you answer, good, fine. And somebody asks you that on a deeper level and you still don't give any words to the ache that's in your heart. And again, maybe those closest to you don't even know it. You're longing for something in your family, 
or for a family, your longing for security, your longing that might be attached to somebody who has left this earth, who has died, and you can't seem to put right what you would have liked to have been put right, your longing for meaning or love or, as we said, for peace. There are ways in which such longings can separate us from the world. You know what I mean by that, don't you? Because if you feel that, you go through your day and you take on the tasks of your day, but you're not voicing the depth of what's really on your heart. And so you carry this alone. These longings can, though, be held in common with another person. It might be two of you that feel this together. Like a couple longing for a baby, seemingly unable to have one, and now too old. They wouldn't talk to people about it anymore, particularly in this case, because talking about it would just remind them that in that culture they were cursed. This is the actual situation at the beginning of Luke. And the way that it separates you from the world as you go through your day and your life, and coming across things where you see people who have what you long for, though it might not actually be that way, can I tell you that? That perfect family over there, whatever else it is. But when you walk through your day, you can be reminded of what you feel is missing. Certainly, Zechariah and his wife, Elizabeth, would have felt that. And now Luke so beautifully tells the story. It helps you, as you're introduced to Zechariah, to know that he carries this longing. To know that he identifies with you, that you can identify with him. And he's only a supporting character in this story. This is Zechariah and Elizabeth, and eventually their son John, who will be called John the Baptist. In other words, we're not even meeting the main character yet, or the next circle. There's no Mary or Joseph yet. Again, this is good narrative writing. You meet those supporting characters before the main character, and then there's more drama to it. The story of the birth of Jesus Christ in Luke starts not with Jesus, not even with Mary and Joseph, but with this couple, this very human couple carrying a very human longing that they feel now has no hope of being met. That's where we start. They're introduced in verses 5, 6, and 7 of chapter 1. It's good if you have a Bible, if you can look at it, because it's great to see or read it later. In verse 5, you get during the time of Herod. That would be enough to set the story in time and place. The time of Herod. When he reigned and where he reigned. Where he was over the people. Verse 6, we get the who. Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth. And we're told their names and their standing and their status. He is a priest and she comes herself from something like a noble line. So they have social standing, or they should have. And then we're told, this is so brief, this introduction, more than their social status, we're told their character. They are religious, we know that, but more than that, the scripture says, they are righteous. 
And we've lived long enough, all of us in, in this room, to know that religious and righteous do not always go together. But in the cases of these two people, they did go together. Verse 7, we're introduced to the problem. See this masterful storytelling? We're introduced to the longing that they carried. I always picture Zechariah walking down a hill for some reason towards the city. We're introduced to the absence and the occasion of their pain. They had no child, and they were advanced in years. This carries with it not only a longing for the blessing of a child, but they carry with them the curse of their culture. It's referred to at the end of what Keith read to us, that her Elizabeth says, now my reproach is gone. They are affected by the judgment of the people who make assumptions about people their age who haven't had a child. You again have to think about the longing in your own heart. For those who are younger in our midst, and there's a number of you, I was gonna say us, but I don't count, I know. To some people I'm younger. For those who are younger, however we want to count that, one of the things we need to do better in our culture, and we can do this from our church, we can start it right now, some of you started it already, is that the world suffers from a lack of understanding between the young and the old. It's hard sometimes for young people to think, what's it like for people who are substantially older than me? And it's hard sometimes for older people to remember what it's like to be younger or to think of how it's different for younger people than it was for you years ago. For those who are younger, it helps to understand those more advanced in years. Let me tell you one thing that older people can feel, and it's a pain, it's a hurt. Older people can feel as if the things that they most hope for, that it's too late now. That's an amazing feeling. Younger people can be affected by the feeling of how is it going to work out for me? Older people can think, and sometimes rightly so, there is now no way that this that I had hoped would happen will happen. That feeling can come when you're young as well. Things, and this is what Zechariah and Elizabeth carry, something like this. And it can be you're not married and you wished you were married, or no child and you wished you had a child, or some vocational or work thing something that defines you in this world according to the values of this world. Or even in where, here where we live, this becomes one that's much more practical, less spiritual in a way, but the desire to own a home, which many people in our culture have, in our geography, have given up on. These can be myriad. You can project your hopes onto other people. So you hope something for your child or even your grandchild, and then they reach a stage where you think, well, no, that's now something I need to stop hoping. These can become occasions of pain, and they can because we are, each of us, fearful and even sinful. Because we're fearful and sinful, these occasions of pain can lead us to act out against others and even lash out. So that some of those people that you think, I just don't like that person, they're always nasty. Some of that nastiness is at times because they feel a deep ache. 
Zechariah and Elizabeth were told are righteous. But you get the sense that they're holding this longing and they carry, as I said, the curse of their world. People in that time and place assumed terrible things for married people who got to their age without having children. The assumption was this, that they had done something wrong to offend God. And so they were living cursed. And he's a priest. Now before you think, oh, that's so ridiculous that people used to think that way, I'm going to tell you some really, really, something really interesting. You think that way. You make all kinds of assumptions about somebody else's life and why they don't have something or why things haven't worked out for them. And in making those assumptions, you curse them. And this is not of Christ. They don't have a home like you have. They haven't made it like you have. They're suffering under the weight of addiction. They're lonely. And you, for whatever reason at times, put upon them a curse like the people in Zechariah and Elizabeth's day put upon this couple. May we hear our need for repentance. This remains one of the terrors and deep sins, I think, of all of society, but certainly of religious people, judgmentalism. But from here, the Christmas story begins. And I want to set a very important point that I don't know if I'll reiterate in, in a couple other sermons we have during Advent. But it's important to me to remember, and I think you should remember it as well. At every turn in the story of Christmas, God, as we're told, Jesus Christ becoming incarnate, becoming flesh, in every turn of that story, God uses events, situations, uh, circumstances that people find offensive in bringing up this revelation and this incarnation. At every turn, at every turn, this story offends. Now, we've tidied it up and made it neat and kind of somehow made exceptions for it, like this unmarried woman is pregnant, and isn't it wonderful? And yet religious people through the years have done anything but think that? See, the curse every turn is somehow an offense. Certainly, to start with Zechariah and Elizabeth, this couple that people considered cursed. And then Mary and Joseph, unmarried and pregnant. Then the shepherds. There's quite a bit more to the shepherds than this, but in some ways they were outcasts themselves. And the wise men who come to the, to the manger... The wise men were pagan worshipers of the skies. And they are the first worshipers of the Lord. At every turn, God offends religious sensibility. The story. Zechariah was a priest. This particular priest on this particular day is tasked with an exceptional job. Everything to this point in his life, we are told, has seemed unexceptional. And now on this day, the dice are rolled. Do you know that's what it means when it says lots are cast? They roll dice, effectively, to see which of the priests will go in to light the incense into the temple, the prayers of the people. And on this day, the, the dice are rolled and the lots fall to Zechariah, and he's given the task of entering the temple and lighting the incense. That incense would be like a sin offering, representing somehow together the prayers of the people and the sins of the people both. Interesting, isn't it? 
that God would take the sins of the people and forgive them, and that God would hear the prayers of the people. And Zechariah was tasked with doing this. In verse 10, we're told that all the people were gathered outside because the role of the priest Zechariah was an intermediary role, an intercessory role. You are not used to that. You don't have to call me and ask me, you don't have to, honestly, to call me and ask me to talk to God for you because you can't talk to God. The church has been through that. A lot of it was 500 years ago this year. We're not used to that, where you would literally think, God will not hear me, I better get my request to Todd. Now, we'll pray for you, but you can pray to God as well. But that's not the way the people thought then. They thought Zechariah has to go light this incense, and he takes our prayers, and he offers them up, and for that to be completed, we have to hear his declaration, the Lord has heard your prayer. And if a priest says the Lord has heard your prayer, then you can say, okay, and be on your way. And the people outside were waiting for that. Here's where we stop again and ask this. Do you believe that this is for you? The Lord has heard your prayer. Because in verse 11, we go back inside, and then this turn. Zechariah is doing his priestly tasks another day, but quite exceptional, but still another day. And as he lights the incense, an angel appears. Oh, Christmas is coming now. An angel appears. You know his name because you read the story, but it's not revealed yet in the narrative. And what did Zechariah do when he saw the angel? Zechariah, when he saw the angel, did what we all do when we see angels. He fell down on his face, afraid, in fear. And the angel said to Zechariah, do not be afraid. Your prayer has been heard. How good is that? First, how good is do not be afraid? This visitation of God is not for your death, but for your living. And secondly, it gets so much better. Do not be afraid. Your prayer has been heard. This is why we stop and say, now, I asked you to think about the longing of your heart before. And now I put out a simple question. The question's simple, the answer not so much. It might be. Do you believe that God has heard your prayer? That's the story of Zechariah. He's going through the same thing you're going through. What prayer? You have to picture him there. Picture this. He has lit this incense. Now you can see the smoke of the incense and the smell sense of Christmas, the smell, and it's going up before God. And this angel has appeared and said, the Lord has heard your prayer. And so Zechariah does. Priests and ministers are good at deflecting things, trust me, most times. God has heard your prayer. Yes, I know. I really do pray about that in this temple, in this place. Zechariah might be thinking about the prayers being offered up. The prayers that he just lit. Zechariah, can you hear this question to him? Try it to him first. Zechariah, do you believe that your prayer has been heard? And now change that to your name. Do you believe that your prayer has been heard? Zechariah struggled to believe. After all, 
why now? Why not before? Why wasn't he given an assurance that God had heard his prayer before this day, through all those years and days and times when he prayed, and God seemingly did and said exactly nothing? But the angel insists. See, the truth is we know it because we're above the story. God had heard the prayer all that time. The angel insists, your prayer, and then goes on to say, Elizabeth will bear a son, and you are to call him John. And now listen, this kind of solitary figure, at least lonely figure, Zechariah, this priest, with this longing, and you can feel it as you think about him in that place. I can kind of feel it. Maybe the minister role helps. But you can too. Elizabeth will bear a son, and you are to call him John. And now listen to this. Listen to what the angel says to him. And you will have joy and gladness. That is the indication that the Lord God has heard his prayer. Because the Lord God knows that Zechariah so often has not had joy and gladness in light of this longing. You will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice. Can you imagine this? Can you imagine it? This child will grow up and prepare a way for what God is doing for the whole world. Verse 18 is Zechariah's response. And it's a little graphic in its language. You want to hear it? Now you're interested. Zechariah's response. How will I know this? That doesn't sound graphic, does it? It is a little bit. And it's because the word no. There's some Bible talk in here, some cleaning up. The word know, one of the places that it's used in Scripture, has to do in relation to sex. So you'll hear something like, he went home and he lay with her, he knew her. Sounds really romantic. There's a similar kind of word that Zechariah is using here. How will I know this? It's not... It's not just a knowledge like we, that, that we would carry with the word no. It's how will this come to fruition? It's a consummation word, right? Zechariah says to the angel, how will I know this? In other words, it's one thing for you to say to me that God has heard my prayer, but nothing's changed. So he doubts. Actually, I want to be careful with that. That's, I don't mean doubt as a sin. He just acts like a human person would. And, and, and the angel's response to him is not necessarily a curse. It might also be a gift. Because when Zechariah says, how will I know this? What he means is, how can it come to reality? It can't happen simply because we're too old. I call this, Zechariah tells the angel about how the world really works which again, you think is ridiculous, except you do that to God all the time. Zechariah's mind would be filled with this, simply. Me, old. Her, old. Baby, nope. Verse 19, the angel says, which is a way of saying, thanks for the reality talk, Zechariah, for telling me what's possible with God. Now, the way he says that is he says this in simply three words. I am Gabriel. Isn't that, isn't that great? Zechariah has just told God 
this theophany, this appearance of God in the form of an angel. Zechariah has just told God through this angel, now let me tell you what can't happen. And the simple response is, do you know who I am? I'm Gabriel. And then he says, you can read it in the text, he says, I came to bring you good news. And you're killing the joy right now. Now, by the way, you, many of you here are good at that, too. I came to bring you good news about the future, about what's going to happen. And you're like, mm, no. So, here's what's going to happen, Zechariah. This is the end of their conversation. Here's what's going to happen. You're not going to be able to speak until the baby's born. And, of course, I love every image of a wordless priest or pastor, but especially priest because of Ken. Wouldn't that be great? But anyway, <laughs> another inside joke. You won't be able to speak until the birth of the child and the conversation ends. In verse 20, the scene shifts to back outside the temple where the people are waiting for Zechariah, wondering at the delay. You know when someone you love or care about or should care about uh, is delayed? And if you're like me, the first 98% of what you feel is just bothered until like the last 2% you're like I think something bad might have happened now I feel slightly guilty for being bothered the people are outside and they're thinking where's Zechariah we need to get on with our day and why can't they leave because if they leave they won't be able to hear the declaration that the Lord has heard your prayer he has something to say to them and it says they were troubled and then Zechariah appears Wordless Zechariah, and instead of words, he uses signs, a kind of sign language, a kind of charades, and in that they know that something has happened in there, in the temple. He seems freaked out. They take it as a sign that he's telling them that God has heard their prayers, and they leave. That's what the text says. And the end of the story, this part of it, is that Zechariah goes home, and the Bible so, again, so modestly says... He went home and Elizabeth conceived. Isn't that another romantic way of saying it? I think that we should indulge the possibility that Elizabeth may have found him more attractive that evening because he couldn't talk. <laughs> so it was a good night. The bigger truth in terms of Zechariah's wordlessness is that sometimes you have to shut up to see the goodness of God. You want to tell people about God. You want to tell God what you need and you should say that, what you feel. But sometimes you just have to be quiet. Zechariah receives this. You, you need to grow in your understanding of sin and punishment and grace because punishment and, and blessing so often is hard to tell them apart. Zechariah seems that the angel has said, all right, you don't believe, then this. But it's a gift as well. I'm going to tell the way God the way the world is. All this blah, blah, blah from religion and church. Will you shut up? long enough to see what God is about to do for you. Here is what we will see. I don't want to say two things, but they're big. 
It's a question, I suppose, will you see this? Firstly, and I'm okay that you can't answer 100% affirmatively necessarily, but firstly, do you believe that God has heard your prayer, the prayer of your heart, your longing, even the ones that you haven't fully told to other people? I am not going to say, it's not on me to tell you that you will get just what you want. But I can tell you that God will bless you in your longing, even as you carry it, and hopefully as you see it filled. The question isn't, in many ways, whether it's filled or not. The question is whether we believe we have been heard by God. Because if you long for something and you received it, but you didn't know you'd been heard by God, nothing would change. You would just now have another longing. You can allow that longing to separate you from other people. But look how God works. In God telling Zechariah that he's heard the prayer, heard his prayer and Elizabeth's prayer, he brings together Zechariah and Elizabeth and the people outside and the whole of the world in what he's about to do. God brings us together in our longings when we know they're heard by the Lord. This is part of what it means to be a Christian community, a company of believers together. Yes, I know, and some of you I know, and I could look right at you right now and you'd feel bad, so I'll try not to do it. I know the longings of some of your hearts. You've told me. And I know that they seem like they're not being answered. But I know that part of the blessing is that we carry those things together. And together we believe the Lord has heard our prayer. And so we are as wounded healers. The world comes together. Do you believe that God has heard your prayer? And can you trust him? See also this second thing. That God works always. I think this is always, so I'm going to say it. Someone will say, nope, there was another time when it didn't happen that way. Okay, but it's always. God always works from the particular to the universal. You think that sounds theological or philosophical. But I'm telling you, it desperately matters to you. Because the longings of your heart, you might think they're not spiritual or religious or whatever else. Zechariah and Elizabeth wanted a baby. That sounds about as human, as practical as it can get. But God works from that particular longing and their particular story, do you understand this? To bless the world and us. This is where faith lies, that your longing, your demand is not that it would be answered exactly like you want, but that as you understand that God has heard your prayer, you come to life because you realize this thing I wanted to be rid of, you mean, Lord, that is where you use me to bless the world? It's beautiful. The particular to the universal. Even to a point where it's just a baby in a manger blessing the whole of the world. Here it's relatively easy to see because Zechariah and Elizabeth have a child and we know in the story that God is up to, up to something much, much bigger than that. Christmas is coming. If you see it, if you see that God has heard your prayer and that he moves from the particular to the universal, 
Your hunger, your need, your frailty will be transformed. Because you'll know God even in weakness. Then you can be humble enough to allow God to use your life to say, Lord, I trust that you will answer the longing of my heart. But until I see that come to fruition, would you let me know your presence here with these people? What a wonder is that. We would each of us say, this is true for me, and I'll say for every one of you, it's true for you. For my life, and I say in my prayer, it's a song, oh God, you are my God, and I will ever praise you. Help me to see what you are doing, not only for my life, though I really do care about my life, Help me to see what you are doing, not only for my life, but for this world, and that I can trust you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, bless us as we enter this season of Advent. Help us to know what it means to come to faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray for those who have not awakened to that faith. We pray by your power and presence that they would, could, see your love. And we thank you that at this great time of year, we get to uh, celebrate in this culture before the world, even though sometimes the songs in the stores are annoying because they're so repetitive. What a blessing that in this next month, our world is, this part of the world where we live is taken up in reminder of what you have done for us. So give us eyes to see and ears to hear. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.